Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray always, always, always that you're doing well. Um, We have um, a full week ahead of us, and I will be going out of town tomorrow for the rest of the week. I'm sorry to tell you that. I'm sorry to do that, but I need to do that. Hold on a moment. One moment. But so we're here today, and the rest of the week we will have Mother Miriam live on course, um, and probably um, four programs you may you may have missed totally. So we will be full programs for the rest of the week. But because I have only today with you, I want to read you one last story. Now, yesterday for many, the baptism of our Lord was the end of the Christmas season. I can't stand it. No, the end of the Christmas season is used to be and is for us February 2nd candle mass to show that the light of the world has come. The presentation of the Lord in the temple. And so we are still celebrating Christmas here. And we are still reading one story every night from this wonderful book, Christmas Around the Fire by Ryan, Ryan N.S. Topping. And it's, how am I doing this? And it's published by Tan. Christmas Around the Fire, published by Tan. And we read um, last week a beautiful story that almost had me in tears because I love this, because Christmas is the time. Well, every day is the time to come back to our Lord. But if you've been away from him, if you have children who have left the faith, if you have left the faith and wandered about without meaning or hope in your life, this is this story. It's just beautiful, and it's called The Burglar's Christmas. <clears throat> Two very shabby-looking young men stood at the corner of Prairie Avenue and 8th Street, looking despondently at the carriages that whirled by. It was Christmas Eve, and the streets were full of vehicles, florists' wagons, grocers' carts, and carriages. The streets were in that half-liquid, half-congealed condition particular, peculiar to the streets of Chicago at that season of the year. The swift wheels that spun by sometimes through the slush of the road. Excuse me. Let me start that again. The swift wheels that spun by sometimes through the slush of the road in snow over the two young men who were talking on the corner. Well, remarked the elder of the two, I guess we're at our rope's end. Sure enough, how do you feel? Pretty shaky. The wind's sharp sharp tonight. If I had had anything to do, uh, anything to eat, I mightn't mind it so much. Then there is simply no show. I'm sorry, I'm uh, reading this poorly, but I've... uh, 
I can't enlarge the type in the book. <clears throat> so they're both starving and hungry and wet and soaked and it's windy and they're pretty shaky and he says the wind's sharp tonight if i had had anything to eat i mightn't mind it so much there is simply no show i'm sick of the whole business looks like there's nothing for it but the lake oh nonsense i thought you had more grit got anything left you can hock nothing but my beard and I'm afraid they wouldn't find it worth a pawn ticket, said the younger man, ruefully, rubbing the week's growth of stubble on his face. Got any folks anywhere? Now's your time to strike them. If you have, never mind if I have. They're out of the question. Well, you'll be out of it before many hours if you don't make a move of some sort. A man's got to eat. See here, I am going down to uh, Logton's Saloon. I used to play the banjo in there with a couple of coons, and I'll, I'll bone them for some of his free lunch stuff. You'd better come along. Perhaps they'll fill it. They'll fill an order for you, or an order or two. How far down is it? Well, it's clear downtown, of course, way down on Michigan Avenue. Thanks. I guess I'll loaf around here. I don't feel equal to the walk and the cars. Well, the cars are crowded. His features show drew themselves into white, what might have been a smile under happier circumstances. No, you never did like... Hold on. At the bottom of my glasses, I see better. <laughs> I wish I could read this better for you. I'm, I'm struggling for the type, but it's, it's all right. No, you never did like streetcars. You're too aristocratic. See here, Crawford. I don't like leaving you here. You ain't good company for yourself tonight. Crawford? Oh, yes, that's the last one. There have been so many, I forget them. Have you got a real name anyway? Oh, yes, but it's one of the ones I've forgotten. Don't you worry about me. You go along and get your free lunch. I think I had a row in Longton's place once. I'd better not show myself there again. I had a row in, in the saloon once. I'd better not show myself there again. As he spoke, the young man nodded and turned slowly up the avenue. He was miserable enough to want to be quite alone. Even the crowd that jostled by him annoyed him. He wanted to think about himself. <clears throat> he had avoided this final reckoning with himself for a year now. He had laughed it off and drunk it off. But now, when all those artificial devices which are employed to turn our thoughts into other channels and shield us from ourselves had failed him, it must come. Hunger is a powerful incentive to introspection. <clears throat> it is a tragic hour, that hour when we are finally driven to reckon with ourselves, when every avenue of mental distraction has been cut off and our own life and all its ineffaceable failures closes about us like walls of that old torture chamber of the Inquisition. 
tonight as this man stood stranded in the streets of the city his hour came it was not the first time he had been hungry and desperate and alone but always before there had been some outlook some chance ahead some pleasure yet untasted that seemed worth the effort some face that he fancied was or would be dear but it was not so tonight the unyielding conviction was upon him that he had failed in everything had outlived everything it had been near to him it had been near him for a long time that pale specter he had caught its shadow at the bottom of his glass many a time at the head of his bed when he was sleepless at night in the twilight shadows when some great sunset broke upon him it had made life hateful to him when he awoke in the morning before now but now it settled slowly over him like night the endless northern nights that had bid the sun a long farewell it rose up before him like granite from this brilliant city with its glad bustle of yuletide he was shut off as completely as though he were a creature of another species his days seemed numbered and done sealed over like the little uh, coral cells at the bottom of the sea involuntarily he drew that cold air through his lungs slowly as though he were tasting it for the last time <clears throat> yet he was but four and twenty this man twenty-four years old he looked even younger and he had a father someplace down east who had been very proud of him once well he had taken his life into his own hands and this was what he had made of it that was all there was to be said he could remember the hopeful things they used to say about him at college in the old days before he had cut away and begun to live by his wits and he found courage to smile at them now they had read him wrongly he knew now that he never had the essentials of success only the superficial agility that is often mistaken for it he was tow without the tinder and he had burned himself out in other people's fires he had helped other people make it win but he himself <clears throat> he himself he had never touched an enterprise that had not failed eventually or if it survived his connection with it it left him behind there's the music for our break beloved We'll continue this after the break. I'm going to see if I could find a copy online that I can enlarge the type. If not, we'll continue from this book. It's, I, I, I'm getting chills thinking of the end of the story. God bless you. And we'll be right back after the break. And during our second half hour, we'll take your calls, your emails, your text. Toll free. You're welcome to call in at one 511 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
My name is Nathan Wigfield, Executive Director of the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. Our goal is to help people experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change their life. The Catholic Church teaches us that the Liturgy of the Hours is the prayer that Christ Himself, together with His body, addresses to the Father and that its purpose is to sanctify each day and the whole range of human activity. That means every time we pray this prayer, our relationship with Christ is deepened, we are united to the faithful of every time and place, and our entire day and work are made holy unto the Lord. To learn more about the prayer of the Church, please visit liturgyofthehours.org or call our retreat center at 814-676-676. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m., or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. We offer several ways to view our programming grid, including at our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are um, somewhat still at the beginning of what I think is a just a wonderful Christmas story, and it is from um, Christmas Around the Fire by uh, Ryan N. S. Topping, published by Tan, and the title is The Burglar's Christmas, and it's about a 24-year-old young man who decided during his college years to leave college, to leave his family, and venture life by his own wits. And he pretty much failed at everything. And now he is homeless, he is hungry, he is tired, he is wet, and the wind is blowing, and he's considering suicide. He's at his end. If he doesn't get something to eat, he won't be alive long. So I'm going to pick up where we left off. God is good to us, dear ones. I found it online, The Burglar's Christmas. So you're welcome, Um to look it up online as well. Let me see how much I can read of it. His last venture, this Crawford, it's not his real name, but he uses many names. His last venture had been with some 10-cent specialty company a little lower than all the others that had gone to pieces in Buffalo, and he had worked his way to Chicago by boat. When the boat made up its crew for the outward voyage, he was dispensed with 
as usual. He was not, he was used to that. The reason for it, oh, there are so many reasons for failure. His was a very common one. As he stood there in the wet under the streetlight, he drew up his reckoning with the world and decided that it had treated him as well as he deserved. He had overdrawn his account once too often. There had been a day when he thought otherwise, when he had said he was unjustly handled, that his failure was merely a lack of proper adjustment between himself and other men, that someday he would be recognized and it would all come right. But he knew better than that now, and he was still man enough to bear no grudge against any man or woman. Tonight was his birthday, too. Christmas Eve and his birthday. There seemed something particularly amusing in that. He turned up a limp little coat collar to try to keep a little of the wet chill from his throat and instinctively began to remember all the birthday parties he used to have. He was so cold and empty that his mind seemed unable to grapple with any serious question. He kept thinking about gingerbread and frosted cakes like a child. He could remember the splendid birthday parties his mother used to give him. When all the other little boys in the block came in their Sunday clothes and creaking shoes with their airs, ears still red from their mother's towel and the pink and white birthday cake and the stuffed olives and all the dishes of which um, he had been particularly fond and how he would eat and eat and then go to bed and dream of Santa Claus. And in the morning, he would awaken and eat again until by night the family doctor arrived with his castor oil and poor William, which was his name, Paul William used to dolefully say, that it was altogether too much to have your birthday and Christmas all at once. He could remember, too, the royal birthday suppers that he had given at college, and the stag dinners, and the toasts, and the music, and the good fellows who had wished him happiness and really meant what they said. And since then, there were other birthday suppers that he could not remember so clearly. The memory of them was heavy and flat, like cigarette smoke that has been shut in a room all night, like champagne that has been a day opened, a song that has been too often sung, an acute sensation that has been overstrained. They seem tawdry and garnish, and garish, rather, discordant to him now. He rather wished he could forget them altogether. Whichever way his mind now turned, there was one thought that it could not escape, escape, and that was the idea of food. He caught the scent, the scent of a cigar suddenly, and felt a sharp pain in the pit of his abdomen and a sudden moisture in his mouth. His cold hands clenched angrily, and for a moment he felt that bitter hatred of wealth, of ease, of everything that is well fed and well housed, that is common to starving men. At any rate, he had a right to eat. He had demanded great things from the world once, fame and wealth and admiration. Now it was simply bread, and he would have it. He looked about him quickly and felt the blood begin to stir in his veins. In all his straits, he had never stolen anything. 
his tastes were above it. But tonight, there would be no tomorrow. He was amused at the way in which the idea excited him. Was it possible there was yet one more experience that would distract him? One thing that had power to excite his jaded interest? Good. He had failed at everything else. Now he would see what his chances would be as a common thief. It would be amusing to watch the beautiful consistency of his destiny work itself out even in that role. It would be interesting to add another study to his gallery of futile attempts and then label them all the failure as a journalist, the failure as a lecturer, the failure as a businessman, the failure as a thief, and so on. Like the titles under the pictures of the dance of death, it was time that child, uh, childy Roland came to the dark tower. <clears throat> a girl hastened by him with her arms full of packages. She walked quickly and nervously, keeping well within the shadow, as if she were not accustomed to carrying bundles and did not care to meet any of her friends. As she crossed the muddy street, she made an effort to lift her skirt a little, and as she did, so as she did so, one of the packages slipped unnoticed from beneath her arm. He caught it up and overtook her. Excuse me, but I think you dropped something. She started, oh yes, thank you. I would rather have lost anything than that. The young man turned angrily upon himself. The package must have contained something of value. Why had he not kept it? Was this the sort of thief he would make? He ground his teeth together. There's nothing more maddening than to have morally consented to crime and then lack the nerve force to carry it out. <laughs> A carriage drove up to the house before which he stood. <clears throat> Several richly dressed women alighted and went in. It was a new house and must have been built since he was in Chicago last. The front door was open, and he could see down the hallway and up the stairs. The servant had left the door and gone with the guests. The first floor was brilliantly lighted, but the windows upstairs were dark. It looked very easy just to slip upstairs to the darkened chambers where the jewels and trinkets of the fashionable occupants were kept. Still burning with impatience against himself, he entered quickly. Instinctively, he removed his mud-stained hat as he passed quickly and quietly up the staircase. It struck him as, as being a rather superfluous courtesy in a burglar. <laughs> but he had done it before, and before he had thought. His way was clear enough. He met no one on the stairway or in the upper hall. The gas was lit in the upper hall. He passed the first chamber door through sheer cowardice. The second, he entered quickly, thinking of something else less, lest his courage should fail him, and closed the door behind him. The light from the hall shone into the room through the tr transom. The apartment was furnished richly enough to justify his expectations. He went at once to the dressing case. A number of rings and small trinkets lay in a silver tray. These he put hastily in his pocket. 
he opened the upper drawer and found, as he expected, several leather cases. In the first he opened was a lady's watch. In the second, a pair of old-fashioned bracelets. He seemed to dimly remember having seen bracelets like them before somewhere. The third case was heavier. The spring was much worn, and it opened easily. It held a cup of some kind. He held it up to the light, and then his strained nerves gave way, and he uttered a sharp exclamation. It was the silver mug he used to drink from when he was a little boy. The door opened, and a woman stood in the doorway facing him. She was tall, a tall woman with white hair in evening dress. The light from the hall streamed in upon him, but she was not afraid. She stood looking at him a moment. Then she threw out her hand and went quickly toward him. Willie, Willie, it's you! He struggled to loose her arms from him to keep her lips from his cheek. Mother, you must not. You do not understand. Oh, my God, this is worst of all. Hunger, weakness, cold, shame all came back to him and shook his self-control completely. Physically, he was too weak to stand a shock like this. Why could it not have been an ordinary discovery, arrest, the station house, and all the rest of it? Anything but this. A hard, dry sob broke from him. Again, he strove to disengage himself. Who is it says I shall not kiss my son? Oh, my boy, we have waited so long for this. You have been so long in coming, coming even I almost gave you up. Her lips upon his cheek burnt him like the fire. He put his hand to his throat and spoke thickly and incoherently. You do not understand. I did not know you were here. I came here to rob. It is the first time. I swear it, but I am a common thief. My pockets are full of your jewels now. Can't you hear me? I'm a common thief. Hush, my boy. Those are ugly words. How could you rob your own house? How could you take what is your own? They are all yours, my son, as wholly yours as my great love. And you cannot doubt that. Will, do you? That soft voice, the warmth and fragrance of her person, stole through his chill, chill empty veins, like a gentle stimulant. He felt as though all his strength were leaving him, and even consciousness. He held fast to her and bowed his head on her strong shoulder and groaned aloud, Oh, mother, life is hard, hard. She said nothing but held him closer. And oh, the strength of those white arms that held him. Oh, the assurance of safety in that warm bosom that rose and fell under his cheek. For a moment they stood so, silently. Then they heard a heavy step upon the stair. She led him to a chair and went out and closed the door. At the top of the staircase, she met a tall, broad-shouldered man with iron gray hair and a face alert and stern. 
Oh, beloved, what a place to stop. We have very little to go, and I will finish this when we come back from the break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. In the New Testament's first letter of St. John, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, And we have this confidence in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in regard to whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked Him for is ours. It's incredible to realize how much God loves us, what He has promised us, and what He'll give us through our trust in Him. Have you prayed for the Station of the Cross today? We would be grateful if you would remember us each day in your prayers, whether it's the Most Holy Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Most Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, or any other prayers you pray throughout the day. Please also pray for the intentions of your fellow Catholic radio listeners. It's so important for us to remember to keep one another in prayer. The Station of the Cross thanks our financial supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. As a nonprofit lay organization not affiliated with your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. Through your generosity, we're able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. Are you ready to take on the world of flesh and the devil with just the facts? This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Avam, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. God bless you. Keep the faith. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. We are right toward the end of a story um, called The Burglar's Christmas, and I want to give you, it's in a book, um, Christmas Around the Fire, um, by Ryan N.S. Topping, and it's published by Tan, and I need to give you the author, I should have done that before, let me get to it, um, uh, Willa Cather, she lived 1873 to 1947, and thanks be to God, I was able to find the story online so I could, with my, with my terrific eyes, I could enlarge the type and read it better. So we are toward the end. If you're just joining us, a gentleman named William, uh, whose parents called him Willie, um, is now named Crawford. He's, he's adopted many names. He left college and home uh, without finishing um, college and thought he'd just venture out by his own wits and be a great success in the world, but turned out he failed at any, just about everything, and now he's finding himself, uh, not for the first time, homeless and cold and soaked through in the wind and hungry. Um, he hasn't eaten for many hours, 
and um, uh, even thinking of suicide. And in a, a last-ditch effort, he decided that he'd never been a burglar. He's never stole anything. He had good morals, but now he sunk to that. And as he, he went into a house that was rich, and the servant, they were having some kind of party, and the servant left the door open, and he snuck in and went upstairs and went up to uh, one of the bedrooms. And uh, just as he thought, there were all the jewels, and he put them in his pocket and continued to go through the doors, the drawers, until he opened a case that had a silver cup that he remembered drinking as a little boy. And his mother came in the room, and she couldn't believe it. And she said, Willie, how long I've waited for you. And he said, Mom, he said, don't, I, I don't, don't hug me, don't touch me. Don't, I'm a common thief. I don't deserve anything. And she said, how can you rob what is yours? Everything in this house is yours, my son. So I'm just kind of paraphrasing. And then as they were in the room, <clears throat> they heard a heavy step upon the stair. She led him to a chair and went out and closed the door at the top of the staircase. She met a tall, broad-shouldered man with iron-gray hair and a face alert and stern. Her eyes were shining and her cheeks on fire. Her whole face was one expression of intense determination. James... It is William in there. Come home. You must keep him at any cost. If he goes this time, I go with him. Oh, James, be easy with him. He has suffered so. She broke from a command to an entreaty and laid her hand on his shoulder. He looked questioningly at her a moment and then went into the room and quietly shut the door. She stood leaning against the wall, clasping her temples with her hands and listening to the low, indistinct sound of the voices within. Her own lips moved silently. She waited a long time, scarcely breathing. At last the door opened, and her husband came out. He stopped to say in a shaken voice, You go to him now. He will stay. I will go to my room. I will see him again in the morning. She put her arm around his neck. Oh, James, I thank you. I thank you. This is the night he came. So long ago, you remember? I gave him to you then, and now you give him back to me. Don't, Helen, he muttered. He is my son. I've never forgotten that. I failed with him. I don't like to fail. It cuts my pride. Take him and make a man of him. He passed on down the hall. So she flew into the room where the young man sat with his head bowed upon his knee. She dropped upon her knees beside him. Ah, oh, it was good to him to feel those arms again. He is glad, Willie, so glad. He may not show it, but he is happy as I. He never was demonstrative with either of us, you know. Oh, my God, he was good enough, groaned the man. I told him everything, and he was good enough. I don't see how either of you can look at me and speak to me or touch me. He shivered under his, her clasp again when he had first, as when she had first touched him and tried weakly to throw her off. Weakly, W-E-A-K-L-Y, to throw her off. But she whispered softly, 
This is my right, my son. Presently, when he was calmer, she rose. Now come with me into the library, and I will have your dinner brought there. As they went downstairs, she remarked apologetically, I will not call Ellen tonight. She has a number of guests to attend to. She's a big girl now, you know, and came out last winter. Besides, I want you all to myself tonight. When the dinner came, and it came very soon, he fell upon it savagely. As he ate, she told him all that had transpired during the years of his absence and how his father's business had brought them there. I was glad when we came. I thought you would drift west. I seemed a good deal nearer to you here. There was a gentle, unobtrusive sadness in her tone that was too soft for a reproach. Have you everything you want? Is it a... It is a comfort to see you eat. He smiled grimly. It is certainly a comfort to me. I have not indulged in this frivolous habit for some 35 hours. She caught his hand and pressed it sharply, uttering a quick remonstrance. Don't say that. I know, but I can't hear you say it. It's too terrible. My boy, food has choked me many a time when I have thought of the possibility of that. Now take the old lounging chair by the fire, and if you are too tired to talk, we will just sit and rest together. He sank into the depths of the big chair, the big leather chair with the lion's heads on the arms, where he had sat so often in the days when his feet did not touch the floor, and he was half afraid of grim monsters, the grim monsters cut into the polished wood. That chair seemed to speak to him of things long forgotten. It was like the touch of an old familiar friend. He felt a sudden yearning, tenderness, for the happy little boy who had sat there and dreamed of the big world so long ago. Alas, he had been dead many a summer, that little boy. He sat looking up at the magnificent woman beside him. He had almost forgotten how handsome she was, how lustrous and sad were the eyes that were set under that were set under that serene brow how impetuous and wayward the mouth even now how superb the white throat and shoulders ah the wit and grace and fineness of this woman he remembered how proud he had been of her as a boy when she came to see him at school then in the deep red coals of the grate he saw the faces of other women who had come since then into his vexed disordered life laughing faces with eyes artificially bright, eyes without depth or meaning, features without the stamp of high sensibilities, and he had left this face for such as those. He sighed restlessly and laid his hand on her, on hers. There seemed refuge and protection in the touch of her, as in the old days when he was afraid of the dark, He had been in the dark so long now. His confidence was so thoroughly shaken, and he was bitterly afraid of the night and of himself. Ah, mother, you make other things seem so false. You must feel that I owe you an explanation, but I can't make any, even to myself. Ah, but we make poor exchanges in life. I cannot make out the riddle of it. 
Yet there are things I ought to tell you before I accept your confidence like this. I'd rather you wouldn't, Will. Listen, between you and me there can be no secrets. We are more alike than other people. Dear boy, I know all about it. I am a woman, and circumstances were different with me. But we are of one blood. I have lived all your life before you. You have never had an impulse that I have not known. You have never touched a brink that my feet have not trod. This is your birthday night. Twenty-four years ago, I foresaw all this. I was a young woman then, and I had hot battles of my own, and I felt your likeness to me. You were not like other babies. From the hour you were born, you were restless and discontented as I had been before you. You used to brace your strong little limbs against mine and try to throw me off as you did tonight. Tonight you have come back to me, just as you always did, after you ran away to swim in the river that was forbidden you, the river you loved because it was forbidden. You are tired and sleepy, just as you used to be then, only a little older and a little paler and a little more foolish. I never asked where you had been then, nor will I now. You have come back to me. That's all in all to me. I know your every possibility and limitation as a composer knows his instrument. He found no answer that was worthy to give to talk like this. He had not found life easy since he had lived by his wits. He had come to know poverty at close quarters. He had known what it was to be gay, happy, joyful, with an empty pocket, to wear violence in his buttonhole when he had not breakfasted, and all the hateful shams of the poverty of idleness. He had been a reporter on big, a big, big metropolitan daily where men grind out their brains on paper until they have not one idea left and still grind on. He had worked in a real estate office where ignorant men were swindled. He had sung in a comic opera chorus and played Harris in Uncle Tom's Cabin and edited a socialist weekly. He had been dogged by debt and hunger and grinding poverty until to sit here by a warm fire without concern as to how it would be paid for seemed unnatural. He looked up at her questioningly. I wonder if you know how much you pardon. Oh, my poor boy, much or little, what does it matter? Have you wandered so far? and paid such a bitter price for knowledge, and not yet learned that love has nothing to do with pardon or forgiveness, that it only loves and loves and loves. They have not taught you well, the women of your world. She leaned over and kissed him, as no woman had kissed him since he left her. He drew a long sigh of rich content. The old life, with all its bitterness, and useless antagonism, and flimsy sophistries, its brief delights that were always tinged with fear and distrust and unfaith, that whole miserable, futile, swindled world of Bohemia seemed immeasurably distant and far away, 
like a dream that is over and done. And as the chimes rang joyfully outside and sleep pressed heavily upon his eyelids, he wondered dimly if the author of this sad little riddle of ours were not able to solve it after all, and if the potter, capital P, would not finally mete out his all-comprehensive justice, just as none but he could have to his things, God's, the author, capital A, things of clay, which are made in his own patterns, weak or strong, for his own ends, and if someday we will not awaken and find that all evil is a dream, a mental distortion that will pass when the dawn shall awake. The end. Oh, beloved, it's just such a beautiful story. I probably wasn't able to tell it in the best way, trying to fix my eyes on all the words. Um, We will be right back after the break, and you'll be welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Prayer in Time of Affliction Blessed, O Lord, be thy name forever. Who has permitted this affliction to come upon us? We cannot escape it, but must of necessity fly to thee to help us and turn it to our good. Lord, we are now in affliction. Our souls are ill at ease, for we are much troubled with this present suffering. Let it please thee, O Lord, to deliver us, for poor wretches that we are, What can we do without Thee? Thy mighty hand can do all things. Give us patience, O Lord, and strength and peace. Help us, O God, and we will not fear, no matter how grievously we may be afflicted. O Lord, Thy will be done. Welcome be the will of God. Sacred Heart of Jesus, we place our trust in Thee. Amen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can find all of our shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, our website, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. Praise be to Jesus. Hi, this is Joe McClain, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show, joining you on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time, weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We'll see you then. May God love you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. I read through the first segment to finish our story. Um, It's such a beautiful story, The Burglar's Christmas. And if you don't get the book, 
Christmas around the fire. Again, I found it online. You can look up many beautiful Christmas stories online. Um, I just absolutely love it. And you have 10 minutes. Our lines are wide open if you wish to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We have an email from someone who writes in anonymously <clears throat> and asks, is there anything I can do about my family members who have chosen to show weakness and turn their back on their morals by cooperating with evil is it worth trying to reason with people well it depends it's always worth trying to reason with people god himself says come let us reason together um if if we don't try to reason with them we cannot help them to know the truth which god alone through his spirit um can apply to people's hearts so um, yes, you can not argue with them, but you can always try to reason with them. And I think if they're family members especially, we have a responsibility to reason with them. Um, absolutely. So if they're just showing weakness, that's another matter. Um, and we can help them have courage. Um, it, because to turn their back on their morals um, is going to plague them. And so, uh, just as it plagued the burglar we just read about. So, yes, it's always worth trying to reason with people. Um, And to do that, take our Lord as our example, who came, he being God, came from heaven and took on the form of a man and was man in order to bring us back to God. And so, come alongside with them. Try to understand their weakness. Um... And um, come alongside them in that weakness in order to help them to have some courage and do what is right. And you can tell them the the grave consequences of letting down on their morals, um, which they know, especially if they're Catholic. We have an email from Rick who writes, Hi, Mother Miriam. God bless you this new year. Thank you, Rick. And you as well. And he writes, on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, my parish priest said that the story of the Holy Innocents was probably not real, but rather made up in Matthew's Gospel, and that the Gospel writer wanted to identify, excuse me, wanted to identify Jesus as the new Moses. Well, Jesus is the new Moses. Moses, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, pointed to him, and, and our Lord himself said in Luke 24, if you don't believe Moses, you won't believe me, because he spoke of me. So yes, um, and the Paris preach said, that's why he has him going to and from Egypt. If that's the case, Rick says, and if it's not for real, why are we praying for the Holy Innocence intercession at Mass if it's just symb- symbolism or fable? It's not, uh, Rick, it's a true story. Uh, Rick says, it seems it's a waste of time to ask for the intercession of something not true. Well, if it weren't true, it would be a waste of time if this priest is correct, but he's not. He is not correct. Um, Rick said, I uh, had never heard that before. I was wondering if there's truth to that. 
The priest stated that although Herod was bad, there is no evidence that the story is true. Thanks for your insights. Peace, Rick. Well, I'm not giving you insights because it, it's information that we need. Um, and I'm reading part um, of an article here uh, from Catholic.com on the very subject of the um, slaughter of the innocents. Um, and he says, he writes, such an act, I think this is Trent Horn, such an act of cruelty perfectly corresponds with Herod's paranoid and merciless character, which bolsters the argument for its historicity. Josephus records that Herod was quick to execute anyone he perceived to threaten his rule, including his wife and children. Two Jewish scholars have made the case that Herod suffered from paranoid personality disorder, and Caesar Augustus even said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. In addition, first century Bethlehem was a small village that would have included at most a dozen males under the age of two. Josephus, even if he knew about the massacre, probably did not think an isolated event like killings at Bethlehem needed to be recorded because Josephus didn't record it, um, especially since infanticide in the Roman Empire was not a moral abomination at the time as it is in our modern Western world. Herod's massacre would also not have been the first historical event Josephus failed to record. There were others. Um, you can read the entire um, the entire article um, on Catholic.com, and it's titled, Is the Massacre of the Holy In- Innocents Historical? Um, okay. Um, and the point uh, under that is the evidence in Matthew's Gospel does not point to the account of the innocents as being merely a story, merely allegorical. Okay, we have a an email from Lita, and Lita writes, Dear Mother, I'm part of a prayer group composed of CCD teachers who are all vaccinated. I do not feel comfortable fully joining them. Because at the end of the rosary, they say a prayer thanking God for the vaccine and all the scientists for developing it for the good of everybody. Uh-uh. No way, Jose. Uh, am I sinning if I join them in the rosary but do not participate in the prayer at the end? Well, I would not participate. I would not join them. I would say to them, I think you're totally wrong. I think the vaccine is um, not a vaccine. Um, it's a pathogen to destroy a good part of humanity. It's an evil, and um, and I will not have part of that prayer, so I will not be joining you to the, for the rosary unless you eliminate that prayer. I would just stay away from them myself. Um, either that or pray with them and do not include that part of the prayer. You're free. One, it's not a right or wrong. It's what you feel you can do. And if you continue with the group, you can bring them sources that have been written about on the evil of the vaccine, on its destruction of human beings. Um, And it's 
being responsible for the death of infants in their mother's womb, for infants being born distorted, um, uh, for all kinds of things. So um, uh, you're fine either way to be in that prayer group or not, but make clear your thoughts. And you might print out um, from COVID, um, I'm going to see if I have a website here, on the on the uh, um, on COVID, let me just see um, if there's a if there's a call if there's a website. I know there is a website that gives you all the uh, evils of COVID. Um, I just I'm look. It's the end of the program. If I can find it between now and ten seconds, I'll be able to give it to you. But I don't know that I can. Um, you know what you can do is just look up, type in uh, all the errors or the evils or the negative effects of COVID, and you'll get that. Uh, go to LifeSite News and look for their titles over the last several months. Uh, they also will give you many results of the COVID so-called vaccine. Okay. All right. I, I don't see it offhand here. God bless you, everyone, and um, have a wonderful week. Uh, We'll be with you every day through Encores. God bless you.